Hello, and welcome to the Modern Retail Podcast. I'm Gabriela Barco, reporter at Modern Retail. This episode is part of our ongoing mini-series, Chain Reactions, where we chat with brand founders about supply chain solutions. Today, I'm talking with Brian Tate, founder and CEO of Oats Overnight. Welcome, Brian. Hey, thanks for having me on. So before we get started chatting about uh, some of the investments that you're making, including vertically integrating your uh, uh, production and distribution of your CPG food brand, uh, I'd love to get a little bit of background on the company and how you got here and why you chose this model to begin with before really pushing into distributing into retail. Absolutely. So I started Oats Overnight in 2016, uh, after about a year of development in my kitchen on the first formulas. Uh, when we went to market and, and looked for options to go to market, uh, we encountered a lot of difficulty with our formula and uh, working with uh, current contract manufacturers. And so we, very, at a very early stage, opted to do it ourselves for the flexibility um, and, and found that to be much more simple and starting up in 2016. For you know the audience that hasn't tasted or isn't familiar with oats overnight, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about how it differs from you know the just general cups out there or even uh, at home overnight oats that people are making? It's a it comes in a pouch. It's a little bit different. So give us a little color on what it looks like. Yeah. So so it's a spoon. The biggest differentiator is a spoon free oatmeal. Uh, so it's a it comes in a pouch. It comes with a shaker cup. Our retail version is actually a bottle of oatmeal um, with a powdered oat milk included. So you just have to add water, shake, refrigerate overnight, and it's ready in the morning. Um, and yeah, that's 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 it. It's a it's a high protein oatmeal with a lot of different ingredients you won't find in competitor products. Um, and yeah, it tastes great. Fifteen different flavors and uh, twenty grams protein. So it's it's really optimized from a macronutrient perspective, um, and you can you know eat it in the car on your way to work. Very convenient. And uh, can you give us a little bit of background on when you started seeing some of the uh, delays or shortages uh, during the pandemic? Uh, just kind of break it down a little bit for us and what were some of the modifications that you had to make uh, early on before we get into the transition of your uh, production? Yeah, so we've we've encountered a lot of different, uh, I guess, different challenges really since the beginning of the, the whole COVID situation in early 2020. Um, you know, it was really threefold. There was labor uh, concerns. Uh, we have a, our full staff is on site. And so safety, of course, is the number one priority. Um, you know, making, making sure everybody feels safe to come to work and work in, in a production room, clean room. Um, also, there were... Um, you know, shipping and, and logistical challenges in getting these items to our facility. And then additionally, pricing and, and scarcity with some of the, um, you know, some of the crop items that we buy directly from farms and mills, of course, were subject to natural challenges. Um, and all three of those really hit at once in, in 2020. I see. And what were some of the short term sort of quick uh, solutions you came up with? Yeah, so starting with starting with the labor side and the team, um, you know, everybody here is a full time employee. We do work with temps uh, to to find full time employees as we scale up, but but they come on, um, you know, as FTE once once they're through their first part. 
so, so basically, we, we, we implemented different checks, uh, distancing when possible, expanded shifts. Um, also on the incentive side, we increased pay to $15. Um, everybody has equity in the company through stock options. And so we really uh, you know, look, to, look to incentivize people and make them feel safe at the same time um, to, to minimize disruption there and make sure that we can fulfill our product to customers. Um, on the other side, you know, we, we ended up hiring a couple more supply chain roles internal um, a demand planner um, who has a really deep data background so we can more accurately forecast. Um, also a supply chain manager who has experience who could sort of manage those relationships, find second and third um, points of supply, make sure they're qualified, um, and just make sure that if we do see disruption for a single vendor, that we have a backup and then a backup option on top of that. And we've been utilizing those more, more often than ever in these last couple of years. Right. Uh, yeah, actually, before uh, we move on to the other production uh, long-term investments, I want you to get a little bit into the system you've sort of come up with uh, to not just simply replace raw materials. I know, uh, for example, last year, there was uh, a lot of brands were saying that monk fruit was getting more expensive. And, you know, that's the sort of hip new ingredient um, as a sugar substitute. So for you, um, you're not simply just, you know, switching one oat to another. Can you give, give us a little bit of color on what that actually entails and to, in order to actually keep your recipes, um, you know, consistent? Yeah. So so first off, all these new ingredients need to be qualified um, through quality. So we have to bring them in, test them. Our food scientists will that work in-house will you know, blend them up, make sure that there's no significant change um, from like a taste or texture or mouthfeel. So, so it's pretty deep on that on that qualification. Um, when, once they're qualified, you know, sometimes there are changes where we may need to switch to a different protein powder. Um, of course, also high quality, but it has a different mouthfeel or different taste. So we've been integrating those through multiple batches and blending to minimize the disruption. Um, so that flexibility has been really crucial to make sure that there's no you know, drastic changes in flavor profile um, from one lot to the next. And what about suppliers, those relationships? How do you, how are you managing those, especially because they are also trying to supply everybody else who's just desperate for ingredients right now? Yeah, this is where partnership and just, just you know, old-fashioned <laughs> human interaction is is key, and you can't really replace that. Um, you know, we, we try to have great relationships with our suppliers, and, you know, at times, um, you know, they're they're bound by the same restrictions that we are when they just have limited material or, or a limited crop. Uh, so it's, it, the partnerships are really important. Um, and, you know, we, we look to just generally be reasonable people and, and forecast our demands and communicate our needs so they can, you know, do what they can to, to help us as partners as we continue to grow together. So for, we've been fortunate since we were doing this for the last five years, we've had those relationships um, with most, a lot of suppliers, you know, pretty deep relationships over this time, even though we've been small um, you know, we've gotten to know them personally and and have been, um, you know, using that, of course, that relationship to our to our advantage moving forward. Um, new suppliers, it's it's always something new. And so um, getting on their radar and being relevant is, is important. Um, and that's just, uh, you know, on the team that we have internal here. They're they're great and and just really awesome people leading this charge. Well, speaking of that demand, um, I want you to kind of uh, just color a picture of where the demand for the product has been in the last 18 months and uh, how that's actually influenced some of the scaling, right? I mean, I'm sure it wasn't all 
in a vacuum. So can you, um, given that you're a food product, obviously groceries uh, have just been up the entire time pretty much. Um, can you uh, tell us a little bit about that, including your direct-to-consumer growth that I know you've invested a lot in, as well as some of the specialty retailers that you distribute through? Yeah, so we're still digitally native. You know, we're digitally native. We're, we're still probably 98% D2C, although we have launched recently some some retail channels with Wegmans and Whole Foods Southern Pacific. Um, you know, the direct-to-consumer is, uh, is a little more flexible, given that we can control you know, the timing of the shipments and, and have that cadence. Um, the demand planning for the retail side is a little more sporadic. And, and that just comes, comes down to communication with the buyers and, and keeping those relationships, um, you know, strong. We have heard of many, you know, anecdotal situations about competitors not being able to stay in, shell, in stock. And uh, of course, that's changing the dynamics of the set a little bit. Um, but the majority of our demand is still coming from our consumers online. Our product is a is a convenient product in the morning. So COVID actually hurt us quite a lot in 2020 when people were staying home. A little over half of our customers were eating it on a commute. And so without that use case, you know, uh, people cooking breakfast in their underwear and their conference calls at 9 a.m. rather than rushing out the door <laughs> to, uh, you know, to get to work, um, it, it, it hurt us a lot in 2020. But fortunately, now that people are getting, you know, gradually getting back to the office and back to work, uh, we're seeing sales rebound really healthily. I see. Uh, were there any modifications that you made? I know with D to see something like food, which is you know traditionally not purchased uh, online or just historically hasn't been. Um, you know, you obviously you rely on lot, a lot on people purchasing variety packs or subscriptions. Did you make any modifications to kind of accommodate this new hybrid lifestyle even now? A lot of the modifications that we've made have been around marketing and messaging. Um, you know, we in 2019 a heavy amount of our of our marketing was uh, focused on convenience and, and morning convenience specifically. Um, we do have a really healthy and, and quality product, so we've leaned into more health focus and flavors and, and diversification in the flavor mix, also to to limit. Um, you know, if we do go out of stock of a flavor. Rather than it be one of five flavors, now it's one of fifteen, and so we have a little more flexibility there as well. Um, so, so a few minor changes there to to the to the lineup, just to um, you know mitigate some risk moving forward. And then I want to uh, move a little bit into some of the planning that you have coming up. This is more of a future-looking uh, episode, if you will, uh, in that. You, uh, like a lot of other even D2C brands uh, we've spoken to, are really realizing there's just so much value in investing early on in your own supply chain, which sounds easier than it probably is. So why don't you start by telling us, you know, what your current facilities setup is like, where it is. Actually, I don't think I know that. <laughs> and then we'll move um, into the 2022 plans that you have to sort of scale it up and have a really robust uh, production. Yeah, so absolutely. So we started in a really small facility in Tempe, Arizona. Um, it was about 2,000 square feet and, you know, me and just a few other friends. We At a very early stage, we engaged an advisor. Um, you know, I, I spent many hours Googling FDA, GMPs, HACCP compliance, you name it. Um, but but ultimately, it really, it does take experience to get, um, you know, to get something, get a facility compliant. And it was a lot of work. And so, so you know, we transitioned into where we're at now, which is a 20,000 square foot facility, um, about 100 teammates total, two thirds of those sit on the supply chain and fulfillment side. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, a few clean rooms there, and a full fulfillment operation. 
Um, you know, as we've grown, we have had to use offsite uh, storage and all that. And so um, we are moving to a larger facility uh, here in Q1 of 2022. And yeah, tell us a little bit about that. What does that entail? What were some of the planning uh, portions that you had to go through? I think from what I understand, it's uh, more than double the size of your current one. So it's almost like you're scaling as the as the brand grows uh, over the years. Of course, within this the context of the supply chain issues. Yeah, we, you'd be blown away by how important efficiency is in the movement of the facility. Um, you know, so being able to start from a blank slate will offer a lot of a lot of efficiencies. So um, a lot lot of planning, including um, you know, installing everything from installing air conditioning to building clean rooms with positive pressure. Um, so, you know, the dust particles don't linger in the air um, from A to Z, <laughs> we're, we're planning it. And so it'll, it'll be a much more efficient process, you know, with, with receiving um, quality testing and quarantining ingredients and releasing them to production. And then, you know, the same is true for our finished goods, which get tested and then released into fulfillment. Um, so it's more of a, more of a smooth, pro- smooth structure um, with the layout than we have currently. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. I'm really interested to hear more on the in-house hiring uh, practice that you have. Of course, bigger square footage means more people, uh, even maybe more uh, on the skilled or supply chain experience side. Uh, are you continuing to uh, just bulk that up as you transition over? Yeah, I think when you know when you see damage on this side of the business um, in in the form of you know an issue with uh, missing an order or or um, you know, not having a backup supplier, that damage is usually in, in the form of lost revenue and it's significant. And so we found investing into a really strong team um, to mitigate that damage and, and really eliminate the risk of that is, is always worth it. So um, we've never, never uh, skimped on that, on that direction. And we do plan to continue to hire. Um, it, it's important. I think I know most food companies outsource the manufacturing and fulfillment, um, which does seem like an easier uh, direction. But I think moving forward, um, you know what we're seeing today in the current climate. I think it's it's increasingly more important to have control over that process and um, really be in a position to understand those those impacts to your business and how they will impact. You know, shortages will impact uh, missed supply and missed revenue. I think that's increasingly more important. Um, so for those that don't have their own facility or or maybe don't have the um, current resources to to go in that direction. Of course, really good relationships and visibility into your uh, contract manufacturer's operation are so key. We can't talk about labor without really bringing up the current climate, too, which is that, you know, we're constantly hearing about a combination of just labor shortage or applicant pool being limited, uh, as well as, you know, we're hearing about unionization and you know, treatment of workers right now uh, by different larger retailers or companies. Um, what are some of the things that you already, I know you touched that you had in place, you know, wages and everything, but uh, retention is, I'm sure, really big too, especially when it comes to something like having a commercial line running around the clock, for example, when needed. Uh, can you just give us some color on, you know, what are some of the practices you're using to not only attract uh, applicants, but retain them also for the long run? Yeah, I mean, first off, I, I think the the biggest thing is that we don't treat this as like a separate department. It's it's part of the team, you know, supply chain, you know, manufacturing fulfillment, they're part of the team. You know, we're, we're, we're typically in the same building uh, working out of our facility. And so, um, 
it, they're so crucial to the operation. And, and again, we're, we're seeing that now more than ever, although we've known it since the since foundation of the company. Um, it's just a tough job. It's, it's tough work. And, and you know, we want to make sure that everyone's incentivized and, and is not just there, um, you know, for a short period of time, but they, they can see an opportunity for their career there. And so incentives like good pay and, and we do full health insurance for all employees, which, of course, is expensive. Um, but we, we feel the that investment for the long term health of the company and and uh, consistency in, in production and fulfillment is, is so key. Mm-hmm. Has there been a pretty decent rate of retention as, uh, you know, you're moving everyone over or are you I, I know obviously you're adding more to the team, but, um, you know, how, just give us a little bit of an idea of uh uh, of how big the, the production team is right now? Yeah, probably around uh, 40 on production um, between different sh- two different shifts and a few different clean rooms. Um, and yeah, you know, there's there's a I think that this category, this this area usually in the industry has a, a good amount of turnover relative to others. Um, but but we're definitely I think we're beating averages for sure. Um, you know, our teammates really, really enjoy it here. And we actually just had a holiday Christmas party, um, which was Awesome. It was really cool to see everybody out. Um, yeah, and I, again, I think it's just a matter of um, creating an environment where people people want to come to work and and teammates that they enjoy working with. And then let's get into a little bit of the investment that you had to make uh, in order to. We're circling back on this new facility. Uh, give us uh, an idea of the size, um, even things like machinery. I know you said that it's not as simple as just moving everything over. But I imagine this is a pretty big expense for a brand that is, like you said, primarily still D2C and has a mainly online following as opposed to just, you know, putting it all over uh, the supermarkets across the country, which maybe you did have the option to and didn't want to. So yeah, just uh, give us a little bit of an idea of why you feel like this scale is the right time right now, despite still being D2C. Yeah, so I mean, first off, we're we're it's absolutely out of necessity. We're we're outgrowing our space and using offsite storage, and you know, dealing with the logistical challenges, just getting our own ingredients, you know, to our production area. Um, and so, so it's definitely a needed needed uh, needed thing. But as far as the investment goes, um, you know, bigger and better machinery, bigger blending, uh, better clean rooms, um, all all of this stuff will continue to improve quality. Um, you know, we're we're probably spending another million, million and a half on machinery. Um, and b- building into more automation, and um, we will be continuing to train our our teammates currently as we grow into that automation. You know how to operate machinery, and they'll they'll be um, continuing their training there. So um, all of this is it's just a win win win. You know, uh, teammates uh, continue to gain experiences and different skills, and um, you know we continue to lower costs as we scale. And uh, speaking of uh, production, I'm I'm really interested in hearing about you know your actual. Uh, product development process. Uh, you know, I, I want to touch a little bit. I've heard that you do some uh, sort of pilot programs where you allow, uh, you have, I believe, you know, thousands of subscribers at this point, but you are actually trying to um, allow them to participate a little bit more into the development. And obviously having your own facility allows you to do that a little bit, you know, quicker or more nimbly. So can you touch a little bit about on that program and um, how important it is for customer retention. Yeah, absolutely. So, so uh, you know, I made the first few flavors in my kitchen. Uh, so we're very familiar with the formula. Now we have much more talented people on staff um, that, that, that build these formulas, fortunately. Um, 
but but yeah, it's it's been a, it's been a great process. You know, we've always been very iterative. Whenever we launch flavors, we're always listening to customers, and you know, if they complain that a flavor is too sweet or maybe they prefer something different, you know, we're we're responsive in that. Um, previously, when we would launch a new flavor, we'd often be changing it uh, within the first year of it of it hitting you know customers' doorsteps. Um, and then, of course, we have to go through packaging changes and all that. So we we stopped and wondered, why don't we just get this information before we launch, and it can help determine you know what flavors actually make the cut and get launched. And in the case of flavors that might not be enjoyed as widely, decide if we should tweak that um, and release it with tweaks, or just scrap it all together. So um, we started what we're, we're calling a flavor development program with subscribers, where every month, if you're a subscriber, you get a free pack of a flavor that's currently in development that month. So huge win, of course, for our subscriber base. They get to get taste test new flavors every month and, and be very involved in that program. Um, and for us, of course, we get data-driven decisions on launches. And so that's really the, you know, something we're, we're excited about building here is sort of a launch engine for new products. Um, right now it's flavors. In the future, it will be, you know, different products, like not a huge fan of bars personally, but it might be bars, it might be bites, you know, other other products we can explore um, you know, before actually making those investments at scale in production, uh, we can get these sampled and, and piloted with subscribers. Do you see this actually also informing uh, your uh, retail partners, you know, uh, product or SKU distribution? Uh, for example, I know a lot of D2C or a lot of brands like to test out exclusives or new flavors or products on their own channel before really like yeah, you know, going to Whole Foods with a giant order of something that might not be a right fit. Uh, do you feel like there's a lot of um, potential there for that? Absolutely. And we get a lot of data from from the subscribers as well. So we know, um, you know, who's enjoying the products, who isn't, and, uh, you know, everything in between. So absolutely, we'll be testing all the, all the products for future retail release as well. Um, and buyers, of course, love that information. So I feel like we're in a u- unique position to present that to them. Great. Um, and then what are some of the other, uh, you know, advantages or some of the other plans you have for the new plant uh, that maybe, you know, you weren't able to, uh, you just didn't have enough room or scale to do at your previous couple of uh, facilities? Yeah, so, so the thing I'm most excited about is our, is our flavor lab. Um, so we have three full-time food scientists right now uh, that are working out of a out of a room and it's, it's a, it's a nice room, but it's not, it's not, you know, super fancy. We're, we're integrating a lot more content, um, like outward facing content that stems from our production process and our, and our team. And so we're going to build a pretty, pretty awesome, uh, you know, flavor lab and product lab at our facility. What, what does that actually entail? Because, um, I, you know, I think a lot of consumers don't realize that, you know, a lot of the stuff is outsourced, right? There's usually, uh, food scientists or flavoring labs or whatnot that are, you know, will supply manufacturers with this. So investing in this specific part, which obviously is a pretty big part of your brand um, and your customer loyalty method, what, is, what does that entail? Yeah, so we're, we are only producing with, uh, you know, natural ingredients right now. And and so it's, a, it, it's, it's not as... Um, Sciency, as you might think, but you know, there's uh, different different equipment, different um, you know lab equipment type things to blend blend things up easily. Um, fridges, it, it's kind of like a mini kitchen, um, but looks a little sleeker with just tons of ingredients and um, you know just all the different ingredients we get from our suppliers. So um, it, this one will be pretty cool. With a, we're calling it open silo uh, right now, which is 
traditionally, I think most most product companies will outsource this flavor development. Um, you know, they'll send a project off to a third party. A third party will make the product, send it back, and then the brand spends the next you know five years marketing that product. Um, our, our our flavor lab is sort of the heart of the business. It will be in the center of the lab or center of the facility, and you know we get information entirely from the outside, bring it in, um, you know, whip a bunch of cool stuff up, send it back out. And, and continuously uh, break that barrier between the walls of our flavor lab and our customers. And so um, it's entirely fed by external resources and then, um, you know, brought back in to remix and then shoot it back out to the world. So uh, we're real excited about the structure that we have around product development. And then lastly, uh, I'd love to hear about, you know, your customer acquisition or growth uh, strategy around this also, because, um, you know, one of the reasons you did decide to grow uh, is that, or just grow in, you know, team size and facility size is because you saw after the, you know, slight slump, you did see a lot of growth. Can you touch a little bit on what that trajectory looks like and why you feel like, you know, this is obviously a big bet on the fact that you will continue to grow your customer base? Yeah, so you know um, the the digital marketing world is changing very frequently now. iOS fourteen point five updates definitely threw everybody for a loop, and and I don't believe it will be getting any better, at least on Facebook, Instagram. But you know we're still seeing with the content we're producing. We we brought in um, an in house creative director, and and we brought all that internal as well, so we can you know really start to produce best in class content. And we're seeing that makes all the difference. It's really all about content and strategy there, um, more so than targeting. Um, especially at the scale, so we, we feel there's a ton more, ton more room um, after after this. You know, we're going to invest more heavily into Hulu and other, you know, other more broad um, marketing channels uh, once we have more retail distribution. And so, yeah, so we, we see a really healthy uh, trajectory uh, over these next few years. That um, you know, we're we're pretty optimistic. I guess last question is maybe uh, <laughs> a little bit touchy, but you know, as you know, I'm sure. Um, you know, now versus the time you started the brand, um, there are just, I feel like every day there's a new, quote unquote, better for you or, or healthy uh, version of a traditional CPG brand. Uh, you know, you feel like this is a pretty unique product or formulation, but how do you feel about the overall space? Do you feel like this, you know, growing source of competition is actually helping you scale? Or do you feel like, you know, there is a saturation? Just kind of uh, want to end on a more, you know, a bigger sort of macro outlook on the your category in general. Yeah, for sure. It's a great question. Um, you know, I think, there, first off, it's a massive category, right? Everybody's, mm-hmm. at least most people are eating breakfast. Um, and I, I think we're converting even non-breakfast eaters to breakfast eaters. So um, there, there's a lot there's a lot of pie here to go around and, and tons of great breakfast products out there to choose from. Um, I think the, 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 what I feel good about is the fact that oats are such a staple, right? Um, you know, I think there's other more fad directions like keto and, and, you know, those are, in my opinion, are going to come and go, um, in, in some respect. Um, but you know, we're just selling a really healthy staple food product that Americans love and, and the world loves. And, you know, we're, you know, we, we find a lot of comfort in that, um, for the outlook, um, and I think innovation is really what's what what this industry is missing. Um, innovation around macros and you know low sugar, no sugar. These these things, you know, it's not rocket science, and that's not really anything new. Uh, but innovation in format and and um, you know product format and use case and and things like that, um, I think are are key to continuing to 
really delight consumers and get them interested and engaged. And so we're going to continue to invest in that. I think that's that's the number one place any any CPG company can invest in is their product. And, you know, we firmly believe that and, um, you know, feel these investments are really paying off. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Brian, and walking us through your production and distribution process. This was really great. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was fun. Thank you for listening to the Chain Reaction series. Come back next week for more modern retail. Thank you.